0: You ever wonder why we're here? To look at the friends that we have by our side and say that we're done staying back. We're looking forward from now on.
1: the last episode of rvb recall for this season we we hit our season finale in 12 episodes which is not what i was expecting i thought they'd need a lot longer to wrap this up but here we are we've closed the loop we've finished time traveling and before we leave we are here to talk about it i am katie and i'm megan hey everybody and they fit a lot into 21 minutes including credits like wow this is season 17 episode 12 Theogony a title that fit a lot more than we were expecting like i i didn't see this coming i don't know if you saw this coming the i am my own grandparent paradox i only saw it
0: coming right before it happened it was only after like the labyrinth the the illusion of the labyrinth got knocked into the black hole that i started thinking about
1: wait wait are we going there, oh my God, we're going there, <laughs> and we went there, and it was a beautiful screaming performance by gankins. I just the the voice the whole time for gankins has been unbelievably good, both the I'm pretending to be a normal human voice and the infuriated British accent voice pulled the mic away there for a little bit, and here's open. That's going to be fun to
0: edit uh no, this. I mean, we talked about it a little bit in, over, the last, over the course of the last couple episodes, but oh my gosh, the performance uh, for Genkins this, the, this season has been stellar, and I can only imagine what this poor actor's vocal cords sounded like by the time they were done recording this episode.
1: Rico Fajardo, we salute you, and hope that we're saying your name right. Kudos, dude. It was incredible. Especially at the end, just that you're screaming in an accent. I can't imagine that that would be easy. So we should probably go back to the beginning, as it were, but at least the beginning of this episode. We have our way into the labyrinth and now we need to start pulling people out of it, starting with Griff and this obstacle course that just keeps getting crazier michael bay fireworks a for lack of a better term a smasher one of those things that goes on a pattern and once he starts counting the pattern it just speeds up because fuck you i guess because it's the labyrinth and fuck you i guess is pretty much how it runs no this was hilarious i mean we we talked a little
0: bit last week about the implications of of a teacher like this um but like this is where it really does get cranked up to 11 in terms of the comedy. Which is funny because Griff's life is literally on the line.
1: But that's the thing. Red versus Blue can still make you laugh. Even when it's like, people might die today. But it's, it's good at that. And so at the end, it's, well, I am going to die. What should I put into the uh, Hall of Fame for the Labyrinth? Make my initials be A-S-S. Like every child setting a high score at the local arcade. That brought back some memories. (laughs) What, did you do that? No! The expression says differently.
0: I will not stand here and listen to this accusatory slander. I know not of what you speak.
1: Well, I didn't because I never got a high enough score and anyone who plays Overwatch with me should not be surprised at this fact. Well, no, I never got number one. (laughs) Who said anything about number one? A lot of games have like a top 20 or 25 or like 50 that they scroll through.
0: Yeah, one of those.
1: Like I said, I never did it because I never got there. (laughs) (laughs) Not good enough. Woo! You know how hard it is to beat a high score on a DDR machine? I imagine very.
0: Let's go with very. But there are so many arcade games with so many arbitrary... (laughs) Arbitrary ranking things.
1: Yeah, but getting a high score requires you to be good at games?
0: You literally never got on any scoreboard on any arcade game?
1: I managed it about six months ago for the first time.
0: And you didn't take that opportunity to make your name A-S-S? Bitch, I was 30. (laughs) And you didn't take that opportunity to make your name A-S-S?
1: No, I made it Kia because branding, motherfuckers.
0: Hey, it's your life, it's your choice. I'm only gonna sit here and judge you silently.
1: And it's my sixth place high score on the X-Men game because the slot I was playing in was broken so it gave me way more lives than I ever should have had. Wasted opportunity. Fuck you, I'm happy.
0: (laughs) Uh, Before we say goodbye to Coach Prestwood though, while we were watching the credits, we noticed a little something the person who's credited with the voice of Coach Prestwood is, of course, Jason Waite, a.k.a. one of the writers for this season.
1: I love it when the writers and directors and whatnot cast themselves in the show. It's just a lot of fun to see, like, okay, they got this part. Who knows if it was, yes, I know I'm going to voice this person, let's go, or I tried out for it anyway and everyone else decided I was best for it. Doesn't, doesn't really matter to me because after a certain point it's I've got this part okay how do I make it mine and he did that with like a minute of screen time total maybe and it was amazing because we're still sitting here going don't get snipped by the snipper riffle this was great
0: I mean if you if you look back at the roles that the writers for Red versus Blue have had over the years um, Bernie you know was cast as Church, Um, Matt was Doc, Uh, Miles cast himself as Felix, and um, Joe Nicolosi cast himself as Jax. It's so funny looking at all of these different characters and how, like, what their roles in the story were and whether or not they were the driving force of the story, the antagonist, a source of exposition, or in this particular case, a like a literal figment of one of the character's imaginations as a perpetual source of torment. That's funny. That is excellent.
1: I also wonder if he used such a goofy voice because I assume that is not his normal speaking voice. That's that's a very exaggerated accent. I wonder if he did that so that he'd be able to use something closer to his normal voice if he continues to write for Red vs. Blue maybe gets a longer running character etc. because you can't hear Felix without going oh yeah no that's absolutely Miles.
0: And same with Church Um, and same you know uh, to a degree with um, Doc's voice as well. Although we should talk about Doc's voice in a little bit Um, but yeah no if Jason found another character to play in a later season of Red vs. Blue I would be very interested to see what it ended up
1: being. Another villain. Let's just do it. Let's just have <laughs> more villains. That sounds fun. Just this one. I, I don't even know. I was going to spitball something, and I don't really have any ideas after this. Maybe he is the slimeball prosecution lawyer during uh, Locus's trial.
0: He wouldn't even have to be a slimeball prosecution. Just the prosecutor or the DA.
1: Okay, but think about it. How much fun would it, ha- would it be to have Chorus's equivalent of, like, Franziska von Karma or something completely fucking ridiculous up there. Go full Phoenix right with this. Let's just do it.
0: Or conversely, Harvey Dent. Like the Harvey Dent equivalent on course. Alright, we need to we need to stop. We're going too far down the future season potential rabbit hole. We still got a season finale to talk about.
1: I'm just waiting for next season to actually be the trial on chorus and us sitting here going oh okay you know we're going to skip
0: it right <laughs> 10 bucks i bet you 10 dollars right here and now that um should we get red versus blue season 18
1: that we will skip over that trial completely look it's either going to be the focus or it's not going to get a mention we'll just completely blow past the recovery period and then we'll see what happens next like I do want more locusts. I don't know how else to get it aside from the trial.
0: Ah, uh, sounds like you're not taking that bet. Ah, uh, I, I, I understand.
1: Chicken. I've written enough fan fiction <laughs> to know a self-indulgent AU when I see one. This is absolutely a self-indulgent AU. That's why we're having fun with it. The whole courtroom idea, I mean. Come
0: on. Well, anyway, like I said, we have a season finale that we need to get back to. I love Locust too, but he's not here right now.
1: (laughs) He's at the bar getting drunk. Uh, Yes, we have a brief interlude with Krovos. And I feel like this was also kind of to get the audience back up to speed. Like we knew what we were doing last week. But you know, for those of you for whom a week is a very long time, we're in the labyrinth. We're going to go save everyone else. And Krovos just straight up, I don't know what side I'm on, is beautiful because I don't think anyone does. And that's what makes this season so much fun at this point. She started as our antagonist and now she's just kind of like an
0: agent of chaos. Given what we find out about her by the end of the episode, that 100% makes sense. And I love it. So yeah, she's here, basically directing them, right after Donut comes in for the save. Good for him, I'm so excited.
1: Oh yeah, no, he's, he has really come into his own, and we definitely get that by the time of this season's end. Like, it's been such a good season for Donut.
0: And you pointed this out uh, the while we were rewatching the episode for this recording, uh, you know, in true Donut fashion, he gives a double entendre when he comes to Griff's rescue. Uh, you
1: pointed out that he probably did that on purpose. Oh, absolutely. He is self-aware at this point. That's the first one he's done since accidentally yelling penis. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry. I think you are correct. That sounds about right. That's the episode name, Accidentally Yelling Penis. No, it's not. We'll oh. never get it onto iTunes. So before we lose Krovos for most of the rest of the episode, let's be real. She gives Doc the world's worst, not rally and cry, motivational speech. Allow O'Malley out. It's like, I'm not, I'm not O'Malley. Yeah, but you're gonna need him anyway. Buy Krovos out. And Doc goes in to save Wash and has this argument with himself, essentially. I did appreciate O'Malley pointing out the I'm the more popular. When you're here, people go, where's O'Malley? I like that guy. It's like well, looks at fandom. Looks at the episode. Looks back at fandom. You're not wrong.
0: This was. I feel like this was a long time coming. Oh. Um. Especially after uh, Doc sort of gave in to the dark side uh, last season. Um. First of all, the like. It starts off with him entering Washington's illusion with this beautiful shot of him standing in front of this doorway of light and he's just completely backlit it's absolutely gorgeous
1: it's so great they repeat it later in the episode with Carolina
0: we're going to get to that I think that's a deliberate callback but um, this right here and then we follow it up with a really great vocal performance from Matt Hullum Uh, what I love about this is something this series has always done really well when doing scenes with O'Malley is that it's been very intentional with its camera angles to properly depict two different
1: characters speaking back and forth to one another. It's very much Gollum and Smeagol having an argument.
0: It is. And this was really good. But what I really loved about this moment is that you can really tell. It's not just a Jekyll and Hyde moment. This is like a character who whose psyche has been shattered but like fully embracing both sides that make him him and that really comes through in the way that the vocal performance overlaps with each other
1: and just the fact that it essentially melds at the end that cannot be easy to do Yeah,
0: I always assume that when a character has to do dual roles like this, that they do one set of recordings for one character, and then they do the opposite lines for the other character. It would not surprise me if Matt was doing this in real time, in all
1: honesty, doing the Dan Green thing. That's exactly what I was thinking. Like, no, I just kind of assume that most people pull a Dan Green when they have to do that. Do you want to tell the Dan Green story? so for those of you who don't know Dan Green is a voice actor he was extremely well known in I want to say the mid the early to mid 2000s he kind of fell out of the industry for a while personal choice he's doing good came back good good human being known for voicing both Yugi and quote unquote the Pharaoh in the four kids dub of Yu-Gi-Oh doing both of them two very different voices, and whenever they'd have a conversation with each other, he would just plow through, just do the voice switch and go. Supposedly, I have never seen it myself, but I sincerely want to get my hands on it, supposedly there is a blooper reel where at one point he flubs a line, does it in the wrong voice, and continues to have the argument in the opposite voices for whom the lines were intended. Which is something I really need to see. But again, this is also something I've only heard about and not actually witnessed. So if anyone knows if it's out there, you know my Twitter handle, find me. And
0: so that's, first of all, Dan Green, he's wonderful. Mm -hmm. Uh, I... I could we could go off on a really long tangent about what a great voice actor he is. But like kind of with that story as sort of context, it would not surprise me if Matt was plowing through in this in a similar fashion for this particular scene. Um, And you I think my favorite bit of it is just that scream at the end where he starts off screaming as O'Malley and ends with the scream in Doc's voice like like just just uh for for people who who aren't aware for a lot of voice actors getting into character depending on like the gravelliness of the voice or the tone or the the octave that you're in it can be very difficult to uh, hop in and out of multiple types of voices so the fact that he straight up goes from one to the other in a singular yell is really damn impressive and it should not be understated how impressive that actually is.
1: Watch, he recorded everything separately and that scream is edited together and overlaid.
0: (laughs) That's entirely possible too.
1: Post-production magic. Either way, it's a damn good voice acting job. Well done, my dude. And we cut to Wash. I have so many notes for this episode because each character pretty much got one line because there were so many individual vignettes. My line for Wash is, Wash, you drama queen. Because he's doing that old soldier who's lost everyone, going on revenge, putting bullets one by one into his gun, and saying a name while he does it. (laughs) Griff, Kai, Carolina. And I'm just like god damn it you you over dramatic idiot. I love you. J- he's always been such a drama queen. This is no exception. Bless him.
0: I wouldn't say he's always been such a drama queen because he was the nerdy ridiculous kid back
1: in the day if you recall. Um, but look, he was the nerdy, ridiculous kid. He got into his angry emo phase. And from then on in, it was all drama queen all the time.
0: Agree to disagree. But I, he, regardless, he's being a drama queen in this moment. Oh, yeah. Which, in his defense, if I thought all my friends had died too, I'd probably be pretty ticked as well.
1: Okay, but the individual bullets with names bit is this very specific trope like again trauma queen
0: it's very cinematic it's a very movie moment for a renegade soldier or or you know a former a former mercenary
1: this on revenge.
0: it's a very cinematic moment um I I dug it. I thought it was great. I I like my heart went out to him, especially just for that last one, Carolina. And I'm like, oh sweetheart, no. I call him a drama queen with love. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Look, we all know I have a bias, but that doesn't mean I have respect.
0: I just think it's funny that in response to the exact same thing, my response is, my baby! And your response is, you baby! (laughs) Talking to the character, of course.
1: Oh yeah, I know. The response is, you fucking nerd. And it's something you can do knowing that things are going to be okay. You know? And much like
0: a lot of, uh, a lot of Washington's story beats this season. He rushes out, ready to make this big dramatic play, and all of his opponents, every single adversary, is already dead because Doc slash O'Malley got there first. Just one of
1: those okay, okay moments. And this this was fun to watch. We then head we go straight from drama queen to holy shit actual drama because we go back to Kai and Griff shows up and talks to her about like what happened and what you know she didn't really burn down the house she forgot to replace a smoke detector and it's okay mom's living in the trailer park and Griff starts getting really angry and yelling at her and telling her she did this and then Griff gets shot by Griff because that was labyrinth Griff and he didn't deserve to live but real Griff is here and it's going to be okay now And they have an actual conversation about, I I feel like they don't have very many deep conversations just by nature of who they are and the fact that it's a lot of touch and go for them, but talking about Griff needing structure and that he wasn't drafted, he actually joined the military because he couldn't handle things and then stayed away because he didn't know what to do but still felt guilty about the family situation is completely in line with his character, says a lot about him. And I love that it takes this one-off joke that we've had for a while, like, this war had a one-man draft, and that draft was Griff? And keep in mind that this is a genocide. If they were going to have a draft, they would have drafted a lot more people. But no, it's just any meeny, miny, fuck you. So as much as I enjoy the random absurdity that Red versus Blue can create, I also appreciate that they took this, well, this is super weird, but let's roll with it, joke and kind of gave it a little story. Like I really do appreciate that.
0: There's often an issue with a lot of prequels slash sequels in terms of film franchises where you find out the origins to things that nobody was asking the question to.
1: That's also a notable sin of Disney live-action remakes.
0: Yeah, a lot of those. Um, But the example I was going to use was uh, the Insidious franchise, which, for whatever reason, decided not to move forward after Insidious 2 and be a franchise about a... Psychic Ghost and Her Two Uh Living Assistants Fighting Demons which which is a franchise
1: that I would watch even though I don't watch horror
0: movies. Exactly. Um that Okay, what I don't I don't want to go down the insidious rabbit hole, but what the the sequels do and they have their merits, but what a lot of the sequels after that do focus on answering questions that nobody was asking questions about. Um, like, where did those two guys get their uniforms? Unimportant. Nobody cared. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing.
1: I feel like the Conjuring universe is also doing this with its insistence on Annabelle. We could have a talk about that as well. But that's a different channel. Follow Silver Screams on YouTube. <laughs>
0: um, my point in bringing this up is that Red versus Blue has been doing that with jokes. However, instead of it being a plot point where I roll my eyes and go, nobody cares, these are things that have been, over the course of the past few seasons, have been adding a tremendous amount of of character depth to characters who used to be punchlines. And we really see that with Kai and Griff here. And you're absolutely right. They don't really get the chance to act like brother and sister very often. I mean, hell, they're rarely ever in the same room as one another. A lot of Kai's actions in the past in the past season, you know, that was her dynamic with Tucker, not with Griff. And so I think it's fascinating. You know, it, it's, it's a good insight into her own psyche about the worst thing in the world being Griff berating her. That's her older brother. I mean, she came out to space to find him. And it says a lot about their relationship that the worst thing for her would be him being disappointed in her and blaming her for what happened. I, as a younger sibling myself, I really, I empathize with her in that regard. And I really loved this moment of him going like, I feel guilty about leaving you. And her being like, you feel guilty? This was such a genuinely warm family moment. And my God, again, it's it's something that you look back at over the history of Red vs. Blue and moments like this are so, especially between family members. I mean, Red vs. Blue doesn't have a history of portraying good natural family dynamics, healthy natural family dynamics. It's all about the love of that found family, which is wonderful and great. But you very rarely have a moment like this between brother and sister.
1: I mean, I think most of the family dynamics we get are Tucker being a proud dad of Junior. And even then, we haven't seen Junior in a bazillion years. But yeah, I know this was incredibly well done. And my next note just says, "Aw, siblings, as they tell the labyrinth together to go fuck off. So, you know, bonding. Tell the cosmic entity that's been torturing you to go fuck itself. It's fine. I do love this, though.
0: Fuck you, Labyrinth. You keep being mean. My big brother's going to beat you up. Yeah,
1: that's how that worked.
0: That is exactly how that worked.
1: Moving on to Sarge, who is, I guess, actually in Normandy kind of maybe. <laughs> Again, this we talked about this a little bit last time, but this one has just kind of been super weird to me. But it's essentially his commanding officer ordering him to go to his death. We get a little bit of Sargisms, like, oh, I agree to dis- discuss how much I agree with you. Like, stuff like that. And then Wash and Doc show up and just wreck everyone. Like, no, we're,
0: no, no, we're done. Well, how many times has Sarge yelled at Griff to run to his death? Like, this is, deep down, I think he's always known that that's wrong. And this is a little bit of karmic justice. I mean, granted, he always issued those orders knowing Griff wasn't going to follow them, obviously. But it's still a commanding officer being like, Hey, Griff, run at that guy with the bazooka. And that way, when he blows you up with the rocket, try to get your dismembered limbs and organs to clog the barrels of his rocket launcher. This is him now being the one going, I don't think that's a good idea,
1: and being told, well, get to it, soldier. That is a really good point that I had not considered until right up to this moment. Bam. <laughs>
0: it's
1: a good, solid episode and a good, solid season. And I do appreciate the, I'm not sure if this is just Matt improvising or if this was in the script, but the, oh, why are you guys in Normandy? Wine tasting? like wine gardens, cheese tasting <laughs> just rattling off French things and just like no we're, we're here to save you from the labyrinth I have orders to run to my death and just countermanded soldier <laughs> like, oh bless you all
0: you nerds I love that Sarge was the only one where they didn't have to go this isn't real like this is a figment of your imagination it was straight up Addy soldier
1: <laughs> that was just very sweet And then we... I I love the lead-up for Simmons's. (laughs) Because it's Griff talking to Kai and saying, look, these are all very personal. Mine was, yours is. They're all very traumatic. Take this seriously. And they go in, and it's a flying saucer chasing Simmons, attempting to steal his penis. And we have, don't steal my penis. I haven't used it yet. And we will use it for science. The aliens, also voiced by Gus. And just Griff losing his shit and sister going, now take this seriously, like imitating him is, oh my God, I howled. This
0: was great. We had no idea what we were going to get when it came to Simmons. Like given how, how the rest of the teams were portrayed, we kind of figured it was either going to be something really, really funny or really, really dark and sad. And I'm so glad they went with funny. This was absolutely beautiful. And just just the 50s style flying saucer <laughs> flying across the, the, the sky. I, I have no words for how fantastic this was. It, I kind of feel like Griff where you're just like, let me just
1: bask in this moment. We'll save him eventually. In a season that has been very dramatic and very character-focused, and in an episode that is very dramatic and very character-focused, this comedic beat was incredibly well-timed and just funny as hell. Because again, that the setup was also a big part of it, and it was fantastic. Before we talk about our next hilarious and/or traumatizing character moment, we want to bring you a word from our sponsors. Fred's BS is an LA local one-man baked goods business that offers unique flavors in small batches. Whether you're looking for homemade jams, brownies, blondies, or brown sugar buddies, the best cookies you've ever had, Fred's BS can provide. All products are made in small batches with fresh ingredients, nothing is ever frozen, and Fred provides a plethora of flavors that can't be found in stores, like the aforementioned brown sugar buddies or his strawberry peach paradise sunrise jam. Also, if you're LA local, you can choose pickup instead of delivery and get your goods even sooner. Head to fredsbs.com and use coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM for 20% off your entire order. That's fredsbs.com, F-R-E-D-S-B-S.com, and coupon code THEROOSTERTEAM. Fred's BS. Treat yourself, because you deserve it. And then moving back into the drama and character development, we have Donut Finding Tucker. Oh, I'm fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Well, can you turn your sword on? Ah, okay. That was illusory Tucker trying to send Donut on his way. Real Tucker has evidently been seeing visions of all of his friends telling him to kill himself. Yikes!
0: That was super dark. And I'm wondering, because normally stuff like, you know, Red vs. Blue has always been a series that really relied on dialogue, given and and very witty dialogue, given the physical limitations Presented in machinima. And over the years, they've gotten a lot, you know, they've gotten a lot more freedom given the incorporation of animation and mocap. What I find interesting here is that they're still, in this moment, talking about what Tucker saw, it's doing more tell than show. And I'm wondering if initially the idea had been for us to see Tucker's friends telling him this very thing and if that got cut for time if that got cut for for resources or if they just kind of figured everybody saying you know seeing all of our reds and blues going you should kill yourself was too dark a moment for the pacing that they had going for this episode
1: I feel like it's that last one. And, I mean, Red versus Blue goes some really dark places sometimes. I mean, we've seen what happened in Project Freelancer, and, hey, we've kind of addressed the issue of planetary genocide head on. But it hasn't gone to that particular flavor of Dark Place. And I feel like I hesitate to say, like, it's crossing a line. But I don't think that that's something that really works with the tone of the show. Like, even at its darkest, it doesn't really go there and stay there. And I feel like that would have been a little too far out of its comedic dramatic bell curve. So, I'm glad they didn't do that. And I also think that we already had Tucker's character moment when he's telling Genkins, like, no, I figured out what leadership is. I know what I need to do, GTFO. And the rest of this has just been an extension on that. He had his before the big ones that we have here. So we really didn't need to expound on that. And yeah, I feel like just scenes of hallucinatory friends telling him to kill himself is, would have really broken the tone of the rest of the episode.
0: It's also possible that, and, and I'm just speculating here, it's also possible that that was an afterthought, that the, the main issue for him was being isolated and lonely, like we saw at the beginning of the last episode, um, was being in solid, solitary confinement, basically, um, and that this was sort of an afterthought as a setup for the joke that Kai delivers.
1: Possibly. could also be the labyrinth just, all right, he's alone. He's not doing anything. He's still not, okay, all right, let's push some buttons. Gotta change up my
0: tactics here a little bit. That being said, I do love this, again, uh, as a follow-up to the, the cute sibling moment that we had a moment ago. Her going too soon and Griff punching her going we're still in it it's still still happening happening. (laughs) was absolutely perfect uh and again again as a as a younger and an older sister this would like all the kai griff moments in this episode were
1: such a mood it's still happening was just hysterical like oh sister please continue being you and so then there were two. We have Caboose and we have Carolina. We're down to the seas. So you guys go find Carolina and I'll go find, we you know Wash is just like, you guys go deal with Carolina. I'll go find Caboose. And Caboose, like, I kind of appreciate the fact that I, I called this one. And I'm proud of myself for that, honestly. Because Caboose defeating logic based AI simulations is just a thing. This is kind of his third time doing it. First was making friends with Phyllis, who then became Sheila. Second was Santa. And now this, like, I think he was trying to make me hungry. He was trying to get you to kill yourself. Oh, oh, good, great. Um, who wants pancakes? <laughs> like, I just, I really appreciate that we didn't really try to go the dramatic route with Caboose. Because again, we did that earlier with him telling Genkins to get out of church. We just have Caboose unaffected by AI shenanigans because he's Caboose.
0: Which is 100% in line with everything we've come to expect from this character. I mean, he's the only one that knows they're in a video game. He immediately picked up on time travel and how to go about properly utilizing time travel. like breaking out of this particular simulation I kind of figured was also going to be kind of a walk in the park for him and that's exactly what it was (laughs) so I really
1: liked just hi everybody (laughs) because he just didn't get what it was trying to do and I just I I love that that's a thing with him it makes me ridiculously happy Caboose is transcendent is Caboose a genius (laughs) We've had some real good line reads this season, you guys. Just some really good ones. So that leaves. All right, time to go fight whatever Carolina's is afraid of. And everyone's just like, oh, I don't want to. Come on, you guys. Or she might die. Okay. And then Sarge just, nope, 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 nope. Continuing to nope out of things. And of course, as we know, Carolina is fighting her past self and not doing super well, because who knows your weak points better than you? It's not a season of red versus blue without a mocap Carolina fight. And I, I love how this one starts out, because it starts with the reds and blues showing up and calling her out like she's a fake. It's a mirror double, and then her lines about a mirror, huh? Two-dimensional, backwards. Am I supposed to be ashamed when I look at you? Like, yes, what is this good writing? I love it so, so much. And then it turns into leave her to me, and everyone's just like, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. We can do this. And all I could think of was that scene from Firefly where this is something the captain needs to do on his own. No, it ain't. Oh. Oh okay
0: I mean we've gotten to some excellent Carolina fight scenes over the years we had the death battle where she fought the meta we had um, the moment where the Epsilon AI started malfunctioning while she was fighting um, I think it was Shark Face at oh, the wow. time <laughs> and we had that great um, sort of tag team fight with her and Wash against Felix and Locus like there have, and of course, uh, you know, her versus the army of Texas. That was a weird thing to say. It's like she was fighting taxes. No, <laughs> the army of Tex robots. There's a really weird way. Uh, would that? Wait, wait, wait. Would multiple Tex robots be
1: collectively referred to as an army of Texans? See, I would have just called them Texan, like Texen, like T E X E N. Yes, they are Texen. There were many of them, many much Moosin. Uh, <laughs> but yeah,
0: so like we've had some stellar Carolina fights over the years. This one's a little different, and I think what made it feel different is obviously there are some over-the-top, larger-than-life action set-piece things. She punched herself
1: through a wall.
0: She punched herself through a wall. Uh, past Carolina at one point did the Dragon Ball Z punch thing, um, where just all of a sudden her her arms become a blur as she's doing a flurry of punches. Hashtag speed unit. There was also the point where she jumped up really high into the air and the slow motion um, kicks and everything like that. But for the most part, this was a really grounded fight. I think what really emphasizes that is the static camera angles and the longer takes in between the cuts to different angles. It focuses on the grappling and the weight of all of the hits. And it just made this feel like a real fight, even in those larger than life moments.
1: I feel like you can't really talk about combat in a Rooster Teeth animated property without at least mentioning Monty. And the roots of combat it, mocap combat in Red versus Blue do start with Monty when we started adding animation when things really cranked up in seasons 9 and 10 and he had a very specific style of combat it was very high flying, it was very acrobatic, it was very high impact and stylistic and it's great and I love that it continues on in Ruby because Ruby is an anime and that is really where it fits extremely well and I appreciate that the style of combat for Red versus Blue has become a little more grounded. It's slowed down a little. It's more, these are humans doing this, a little more realistic, as realistic as you can get in Red versus Blue, whatever it chooses to be at, during the time. And I really like that. You, you felt every hit, and you really felt like these were two people, or a person and an illusion of her younger self, at least... Beating the shit out of each other. It felt visceral in a way that's difficult to come across when you can't show blood.
0: Yeah, and it had its anime moments. The oh, yeah. the yeah, af- yeah. the aforementioned uh, wall punch was definitely the probably the most most anime moment of the fight. But yeah, for the most part, this felt like you're looking at two highly trained martial artists just kicking the snot out of each other and it it felt yeah kudos to the mocap team kudos to everybody involved
1: this was just incredible a plus plus fighting a plus plus animation well done i love it thank you yes and at one point we we mentioned the wall punch she punches her younger self through a wall into the mother of invention (gasps) simulation room Complete with leaderboards, reading Carolina and Carolina. And Carolina Prime, Carolina Current, as opposed to Carolina Past, does not win this fight. And we get this moment of, in this time, in this place, I'm stronger than you. Like, yes, because it's in the past. It just... There was so much of this dialogue of past Carolina saying things like, "Oh, you'll never be me again. You'll never do this again. What are you?" And I'm sitting here going, "She's better than you. Good. She shouldn't try to be you again. She was a broken, messed-up human being and she's doing better. You're not convincing anyone." Cuz you know, yelling at the labyrinth works.
0: The mother of invention is currently a wreck. It is, you know, crashed out in the middle of nowhere it is a husk of what it was in real in you know it in the current timeline so like going back to this you know this time this place this is this is me at my prime you can't beat me here it's like yeah sure that's fine you know where this ends up it ends up crashed in the middle of nowhere as a hunk of junk and you turn into me. So, like, yeah, there's just, there's so much good here of, like, this being the arena for this part of the fight.
1: And it ending with where well, I think we all knew that it would eventually end with, I don't need that power, I don't need that drive, I have friends, I have people who will help me, I have people who are willing to put you down just to help me, and <laughs> that I have no idea how they all got there. The lights flickered off. The lights flickered on and all the reds and blues were around them in a circle. It's great cinema. How the fuck did they do that?
0: (laughs) Ninja skills. Sure. Uh, Time travel. But no, when they initially bust into the Mother of Invention and we have this shot of Carolina walk you know our current Carolina walking into this darkened room with the light shining behind her I am almost you mentioned earlier that they like their their uh, silhouette shots I am 100% certain that this was a callback to Texas reintroduction into the into the series way back in I want to say it was season eight yes um, so right before her big fight scene um, where she just kicks the snot out of the reds and blues Um, So I think that was a very deliberate callback, and I kind of love it. Um, But also, just the moment where, you know, the lights go out again, and it's Tucker's sword that initially brings up the light within the room. It's so good. And Washington being the one that she's leaning on to stay upright. is just, I have no words other than just an incoherent mess of emotional <laughs> emotional approximation of words if that makes any sense
1: we call that the shipper puddle of emotions that's that's what that is gibberish yes <laughs> <laughs> gibberish is
0: all i have to say when it's just emotions
1: taking me over
0: <laughs> yeah it's just it's my car wash shipper heart but also just even if you want to put the shipping stuff aside it's just she finally has somebody to lean on not only to be strong for, as she
1: says, but somebody to give her strength to in return. These are my people, these are my friends. So we finally get to see the avatar of the Labyrinth, and I like it. Well designed, good armor choice, good voice. Like, I like this Labyrinth, who is currently having a slight crisis because he failed at his duty. No one needs, no one can get through, no one can go see Krovos. A donut, just kind of pointing out the logical flaw in that. Like, I came from Krovos's prison. Wouldn't I have done that already if I was going to? And just the, you you can hear the egg timer tick 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 ding. Like, <laughs> okay, yeah. As far
0: as the Labyrinth's Avatar goes, I don't know if it was intentional, but his helmet. To me, I look at it and I'm like. Is it me, or does it kind of remind you of like a webcam or the camera in your phone, just with that sort of circular eyepiece?
1: It's very similar to the one that uh, the King of the Gods had. So then we have Gankins. Just, just. Gankins. And I appreciate that this very quickly turns from, well, I can't let you in. Wait, let's have some logic. To, you know what? It's entrapment time. Let's go. Let's see if he does what I think he's going to do.
0: This was such a cool transition. Like, kudos to the pacing of this episode because we had that, yeah, confrontation between the AI and Donut. And then just as Genkins is walking into the room and then the camera changes angles and all the reds and blues are gone and it's just the labyrinth holding the club this is so good. That was such a great cut.
1: And there's this just this brief moment for the audience of, what the hell is that? Followed by, Uh oh, he's doing the thing. I got gotcha, you. I got gotcha. you. And the Labyrinth straight up just baits Genkins into letting slip that, yeah, he's, maybe I want to hurt my kin. Oh, shoot. He's trying to get to Krovos. That's the thing that we can't allow. And sadly, the Labyrinth gets... A little bit ahead of itself in wielding the club and then showing the reds and blues and then giving them all clubs and having that moment of that's not possible wait that's that's literally not possible there's only one club and then he shoves the avatar of the labyrinth into the black hole which oh, I was sad I really liked this character like he's been on the screen for 30 seconds is this what Delta fans feel like spoiler alert he's
0: fine (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm allowed to be sad for Death Fake Outs. I watch Disney movies. It's very true. Um this was awesome. And it was there were there were a couple seconds where after the labyrinth the labyrinth was knocked into the black hole where I'm like, Oh shoot, like this could be really bad But after it right after it happened the wheels in my brain started to turn and I kind of I kind of saw where Donut was going in in what was about to happen and I was a little surprised again given what we kind of what we'll talk about but um but I love this because this is Donut finally outsmarting everybody finally being the first one to pick up on what's going on finally being the one to lay out the plan, and finally having somebody listen to him. This is stuff that has been slowly building over the course of the entire season. It's taken forever to get his friends to listen to him and to take him seriously as a leader. And though they've finally gotten to that point, this is a moment where he doesn't need to give a rallying speech. He just looks at somebody who can read his mind and pick up, Exactly what he's putting down instantaneously. And sure enough, it goes off without a hitch, and it's beautiful.
1: And I love that he was able to put together just this paradox of, well, Krovos had to come from somewhere, and black holes take you to the beginning of the get universe, so this. Whereas everyone else is still slowly catching up as he's talking, and you get that genuine donut for the love of God from Wash, just like you shouldn't be telling him this. This is bad. Why are you telling him that? Wait, you meant to, and this was all a... Are we playing Xanato's Speed Chess? D- did I miss something? Because I was on the wash wavelength here. I did not pick up on that until... Oh, shit. Uh, mm, we made a paradox. Well, the series did a really good job of
0: establishing the fact that Donut's a little bit of an oversharer, and not that long ago this season, he inadvertently gave Genkins a really bad idea, which was to betray Krovos in the first place. So on the one hand, you and again, the the performance is really good there, where it does seem like he's coming to this realization in real time and just verbalizing it because he's a genuinely friendly person and that that's just how it is. For a moment I was scared for Huggins. For a moment I was genuinely scared for Huggins because Genkins being like, wait a minute, she's alive. Um that's
1: how you kept finding me.
0: I was genuinely scared for her. Although I don't know why I was scared for her, because light is information and cannot be destroyed. Um I, I do also want to give a quick like shout out, like to the callback of actually seeing the AI without the uh, illusion of the armor and everything like that. Oh man, just when he started getting beat with the club and you just see the little floating ball. Oh, it's so good.
1: The visual language of cinema.
0: Indeed. Um, But yeah, so for a moment I was really scared for Huggins and that's when Genkins decides I know
1: what to do. What if I just decide to go back to the beginning and take you all out before you're even born and this and that and the other like he goes full on Right, he lives long enough to see himself become the villain like he already was but this is just full on leap off the slippery slope just bonkers Comple- lean so hard into that curve he's horizontal
0: full on
1: f- flipping the double bird as I fall backwards into a black hole it's a very Felix move to be honest. There's there's a I think it's a drill tweet about uh facing God and walking backwards into hell and that's that's kind of what I think is going on here. It's like, yep. Yep.
0: It's and this is where we were talking about the the performance here because this is just where he goes fully mad with power and essentially becomes Crovos and we cut to the moment not only of the universe's beginning, but then him creating the gods. And it's funny because, again, we had that we had that moment earlier this season where Krovos was saying there was a good reason for that. Maybe there's another way. And we finally get to see what the reason was for the gods choosing to lock Krovos away. It was because... Krovos was a raving madman at the time, <laughs> screaming about how he created everything and how he was Krovos, and it's it's so clear why the gods were like, Yeah, we need to we need to put dad in a home. Yeah, just
1: you know, a home made out of golden gears and locks and on another plane of existence and in the center of a black hole, and you know, just Let's not ever visit. I want to rewatch this entire
0: season because I, I thought it was a great choice for Lee Eddy's performance as Crovos to be very similar to Genkin's performance. Now that we know what we know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> like that was very intentional from the get-go and say it with me, everybody. Genkin's in ter- in going back in time,
1: I'm my own grandpa. <laughs> ah, paradoxes, and that's that's like the one paradox that everyone cites is either killing or becoming your own grandparents, and like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I guess the question is, was
0: Krovos always Genkins, or did Krovos become Genkins in going back? Like, I I, I guess the answer is that she's always been Genkins, this has always been a singular loop.
1: I'm not so sure about that because of how they were talking about, you know, you might have a cellmate, you might have yourself as a cellmate, making me think that Krovos came from somewhere else was something else. And then Gankin's going back in time during this crazy time of flux and paradox and whatnot in this particular loop round made him Krovos, Because when we had the uh, conversation with mom and dad in the black hole, it was essentially, oh yeah, you know, we start here, we go all the way to the end, and then it loops back around. Time is a circle, and that is why clocks are round. So it makes me wonder if Krovos. You know, came from somewhere else for the initial circle, but on this new circle, it's Genkins because of what happened here. So, that I do think that she was something else to start, and Genkins becoming Krovos is new, hence, the you might have yourself as a cellmate bit.
0: I'm gonna lean the other way and say that she's always been Genkins um in it, it i mean ultimately it doesn't matter because the loop is closed you know the circle remains unbroken uh and ultimately it's fascinating either way and yeah at at the end of the day it doesn't matter she's still trapped and um the paradox is set right everything is back the way it was i just really i think that to, I, i've said time and time again that time travel stories are tricky, um, and as you were you were giving you were postulating just now, I felt my eyes crossing, <laughs> and like I'm like oh god, um, time travel stories are really tricky to do right, uh, because there's a lot of room to play Calvin ball, and I always like definitive rules. I I think structure is what's needed for time travel stories. Um, I totally understand if that's not your cup of tea though. I think this was an excellent way to resolve this sort of time travel issue. As you said, it it's a callback to what we got earlier in the season with Huggins and her family, and it's a callback to that joke of, that is why clocks are round. This was a really good way to resolve everything. I, this revelation makes me look back on the past season as well and go like, here's a story thread, here's a story thread, here's a story thread, and this all ties back together really, really well.
1: Yeah, this was very well done, and I'm not sure if this was the plan from the start of, like, season 15, or if this kind of developed as it went along, but either way, it was extremely well executed. So then all that's left is to uh, fix the final paradox, and this is one of those... As much as I, you know, make fun of Wash for being a drama queen, this was a very solid, very just quietly heartbreaking moment of, I'm ready. I don't want to be alone. Will you come with me? And everyone just, yeah, absolutely, of course. And Carolina, doing her best to help him. I'll be there so hard, there'll be two of me. And just getting that little laugh, like, all right, see you there before everyone goes and I think it's a nice touch that the camera stays with Krovos and we see the everyone just wink out it's an
0: elegant way uh, I mean we've we've been saying all season that like Wash needs to get hurt in order to maintain stakes and the fact that actions have consequences and maybe it'll be fine but ultimately I think we both knew that like in order for the show to maintain its sense of dramatic stakes he was gonna have to get hurt and I feel like the paradox winking out in the the crack in the wall disappearing was such an elegant way of us not having to relive the moment where he got shot like it was an elegant beautiful subtle way of being able to be like and this has been resolved and it's sad but we're not going to show him graphically getting shot in the
1: throat again which thank you for that can only take so much and we have had a lot of interpersonal growth and drama and good and wonderful things this episode i don't think i can take that again let's just not Let, let's just leave it with the with the joke and the thank you and them leaving like it you're right it was absolutely elegant so All that's left is our denouement in the hospital. He'll be okay. He'll be loopy. He's got some rough recovery ahead of him, but, you know, we'll all be here. Hopefully, it'll go a little better because he's well aware of the fact that he has brain damage now, as opposed to, don't anybody tell him for well over a year. Like, it's not often you get a chance for a do-over, especially for Carolina. And I think this is her chance, which I can appreciate. Even though I'm still a little sad that they kept that decision, but you do what you do.
0: The Reds and Blues, after saving all of time and space, deserve a do-over for this one. Everybody gets one. <laughs>
1: yeah, except they really, really don't.
0: This is—they're all collectively using their one do-over here to be to be around for Wash, and that's that's the thing. Is if the Reds and Blues had like not gotten uh, sidetracked with this whole time travel shenanigan in the first place like they would have been there for him had they known and you know if Carolina only knew then what she knows now like she also would have been honest and upfront with him like they get a second chance to make it right and he doesn't have to go through it alone and yeah I think that's I think that's beautiful um and I think it ties in really well with that line that we opened up the episode with of Donut saying we're done staying back, you know, from now on we're looking forward. And I, yeah, it's like it's a good it's a good way for an entire season that was all focused not all focused, but heavily focused. On callbacks and twists on old jokes and revisiting old seasons. I think that was a really great way of wrapping the season up, of being like, we're not going to be stuck in the past anymore. Moving forward is the only way to go.
1: I think you're right. I think that was a really good way to do it. And we have. We're already seeing what might be a little change going forward. Donut has decided to go see the universe, to go travel for a while. He went through a lot of stuff, but it never really happened, so it's okay? Question mark. But he's taken some well-deserved time off, and he deserves it. Department of Redundancy Department. Awesome. And Lopez is back from the beginning of time. He's seen so many things. His journey has taken longer than time itself. He has such truths to impart. Nobody but Griff speaks Spanish and Griff doesn't care. So, poor Lopez.
0: I hope Locust gets off on the trial okay. That way there's at least one other person who will understand him.
1: That would make Lopez's life too easy. We can't have that. For as much as we change things up, some parts of the status quo must remain.
0: And this is how you know it's still red versus blue. There is a character who has obtained infinite wisdom and is willing to impart it onto the people who were, who were closest to him. He's under no after after living through eons and eons and eons, he is under no obligation to return to them. And yet he, he's come back to share the knowledge and the wisdom that he, uh, he, he has gained over the millennia. And we end this season on, well, that's nice. Be really nice if we could understand him. It's
1: too bad I don't speak Spanish. Also, those robot bodies are built to last. Damn. Sarge is a surprisingly good craftsman. Guaranteed for multiple millennia or your money back. So yeah, this this whole season was a trip. It was a lot of fun. And I think after the mixed bags that were seasons 15 and 16, I think this one really brought it home. I definitely think it's the strongest of that trilogy. And I just enjoyed the hell out of it. I think my biggest critique here is that we didn't really get to say goodbye to Huggins. I was kind of hoping for a mid or post credit scene of just her. She just kind of stopped after Gankins went mad with power and I'm, I'm, I'm sad that we did not get to say goodbye to this new character that we know and fucking adore.
0: Same. If there's one thing I have to complain about with this episode, it's that she and Griff didn't get a moment of uh, forgiveness. Smell you later. Let's go grab some pizza. Um, None of of that. Um, So it would have been nice for the two of them to get to say goodbye or or for him to apologize or, or something. But here's the thing. I mean, just because we didn't get a moment with her here doesn't mean we won't be seeing her. She, you know, being light and being able to go back and forth throughout time. I feel like we might see her
1: again at some point in the future. She's the defense attorney at Locus's trial. <laughs> <laughs> she a character witness. <laughs> I've seen all.
0: <laughs>
1: yes, and also I love that that was your Ruby Rose voice. <laughs> that was pretty great. Alright, on the note of I've seen all, thank you, <laughs> Ruby, <laughs> I think we can call it for this episode. And this season, we will be back in the Camp Camp Counselor Corner. Keep an eye out for that one, or an ear out, I guess. This is podcasting. Uh yeah, real quick before we do our plugs
0: and everything like that. Again, just thank you so much to the entire cast and crew for Red vs. Blue season seventeen. This season was an absolute delight. The performances were great. The cinematography was great. This was a lot of fun. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all of your hard work. It is very much appreciated.
1: Earlier this season, Jason tweeted about being proud of himself for his accomplishment for ruining Donut for anyone who had to write Red vs. Blue after he did because Donut is a fully realized three-dimensional character now. Thank you for that. That, that's a hell of an accomplishment for a season, my man. Thank you for that. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, everyone who threw in for this crazy, ridiculous, wonderful season. It was such a good time. And we really, really liked this. This this was a good one. It was a good one. So long and thanks for all the fish. Looking forward to what comes next.
0: Until next time, I'm Megan. You guys can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the TheMenguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. Uh, and if you're interested about going back and then asking why you went back, uh, you can check out my Lost retrospective podcast, No Love Lost, where my co-host, Will Links, loves Lost, and I don't. And we talk about it.
1: And I'm Katie. You can follow me all over the social medias, as well as on YouTube and Twitch at KIAXET. That is K-I-A-X-E-T. If you are interested in moving forward, I, too, am on another podcast. It is called On The Point, and it is about all things Overwatch and Overwatch League. We are moving forward with the season. We're looking at stage three now. It is going to be completely ridiculous, and I am super, super here for it. So, listen to that on YouTube and listen to that on anywhere you can get all your podcasts, really. On the point. If you enjoy the show, if you want to hear more of the wonderful, crazy stuff we do, like I said, stick around on this network. We have Camp Camp Counselor's Corner coming up. That is, of course, going to be our Camp Camp show. We have Gen Lockdown if you're interested in hearing what all we had to say about Gen Lock. And, of course, there are other shows associated with all of our other wonderful Rooster Teeth properties and also welcome to Veil, vale, our Ruby and welcome to Night Vale crossover piece of media that is a hell of a lot of fun that's all on that network it is all on the Rooster Team you can support us on anchor at the Rooster Team on Twitter on T public on YouTube all at the Rooster Team because we firmly believe in branding also supporting our sponsor supports us so head over to fredsbs.com f r e d s b s.com and use coupon code the Rooster Team, for 20% off your entire order. Do that, get yourself some cookies, enjoy yourself some time travel, we will see you at Camp Campbell, and um, thanks for closing the Ever with us. <music>